welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Adventures, welcome to episode 93 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a special side quest featuring Cities of Venus. This is just Patrick, and I actually don't have Scott with me for the opening this time. He's doing a bit of travel, so uh, going solo at the beginning, but don't worry. We get the king for the 8-bit breakdown, as well as our interview with James in the back half of the episode. I gotta say, I really hope that you folks enjoy these side quests. It's always cool to have the opportunity to like preview a game, play it ahead of time, show it off the meetups, that sort of thing, and then actually chat with the designer. Sometimes you know they'll ask for like some behind the scenes input on the game, or sometimes they're in the very early stages, and you can actually say, "Oh, we should," you know, "What if it did this? What if it did that?" And you almost feel like you're a, a part of the process for them. But uh, no, this this one is ready to roll. It's going to be live in five days if you're listening to this episode on the day that it airs. Well, let's get right to it. Uh, let's kick things off with a little walkthrough. Designed by James and Adam Staley and coming to Kickstarter May 2nd, Cities of Venus is a bit of a player board building game with resource management. Players will be acquiring population, mining for minerals, and catching canister drops for their mining facility above the surface of Venus. And at the end of the game, players score points for minerals, workers, or Venots, and for various upgrades they've made to their player board. Now to begin the game, each player receives a quad-layered player board depicting several facilities seated with starting Venots. The main board is a neoprene mat that houses slots for various cards that will be available each round, plus an event deck and special cards that can be acquired using your V-Nots. A round is actually quite simple. First, cards are dealt to the main board. Then if any events are triggered by those cards, they're resolved. Next, each player loses a V-Not in their shields department, but they gain V-Nots according to their food and water facilities, allocating them as they please. Next, players can mine for minerals, which is simply done by sacrificing a V-Not from your mining facility and rolling a d6. Finally, players can purchase cards from the main board, typically using a combination of minerals and facility-specific V-Nots. Now, these cards are where the game is made particularly interesting. Sometimes they'll offer a boost to your population in a particular facility, but oftentimes the card's actually slotted into your player board, revealing a new max capacity of workers for that department and oftentimes providing endgame points or an asymmetric ability. Players will continue until the Earth card is revealed, which occurs in the third stage of the game, at which point players will complete the round and tally final scores. Now, as always, there's a bit of more detail to a game than we can go over in a short audio walkthrough, and in this case, it's no different. But hopefully this gives you a general sense of how this Kickstarter is going to play out when it hits your table. So let's get back to the king for a first impression 8-bit breakdown of Cities of Venus. All right, Patrick, thank you so much for the walkthrough on Cities of Venus. Now, adventurers, it's time for us to do our normal 8-bit breakdown of Cities of Venus and see what we thought about it. So, first of all, we have art and components. All right. <laughs> I love the V-Nuts. There's just something about them that is just fun. 
actually having them, the little pieces and everything that look like astronauts with their, uh, the, the front painted on them and everything on the, the, the view screen, the, the visor five, that's what I was looking for. Also, the double layered board with sliding areas to place your cards is such a unique way to set up the board. One thing that I felt should be added is a card breaking things down a little bit better for each player. We had to go back a couple times to the rule book just to make sure of things there. So that would be something there. But sure, you have a card where you can save up to 80 of your V-knots, but a little bit clearer on that would work out well. So what do you think, Patrick? Yeah, we got to start with that elephant in the room, and that's that the player boards, they're inset for the V-knots, plus having an area where you slide in the upgrades. Uh, reminded me of Lacrimosa. Um, game comes with a ton of mineral gems. Those V-knots, there's like 200 of them in the box. And you know what? I thought a lot of the cards had a thematic artwork that captures the feeling of like mining above the planet. Uh, we had that one event card that had us lose some V-knots and the picture on it was like bacteria and, uh, the neoprene mat. Man, that's a nice touch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bit number two, we have theme and immersion. I like the theme. Need to keep the shields up, make sure people are fed, get mining done. It is a cool setup. I don't know if I was more immersed in this game or just perturbed at myself for missing something. You need to make sure you get everything done, but there are times that things are missed and you have no one to blame but yourself. So were you immersed in it? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, thematically, we're mining rare minerals on Venus, right? You've got your space station to man and canister drops supplying you with all those various upgrades. Uh, as the goal of the game is to mine as many minerals as possible, plus have as much population as possible, uh, it felt right. With one exception, those V-knots that go out to mine, they're described as sacrificing their lives for the sake of the mining. Uh, In-game, you have to pitch one V-knot in order to roll for mining, but I kind of feel like sacrificing their lives for the cause was a little bit far-fetched. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now the complexity. This is a surprisingly streamlined game. You see what needs to be done, and you do it. That's simple. But how you get there is the tricky part. Once again, it's not complex, yet it's fulfilling. Yeah, you know what? I thought we were in for something that was going to actually be really complex, but it was pretty approachable. You got turns broken down into a few easy steps, uh, recruiting dudes, rolling for mining, then acquiring a canister. That's basically it. Now, there's a little bit more to it than that, but not much. Uh, I think by turn three, you're going to have a pretty good grasp on how to function within the game. And by the end of your first play, man, you're ready to go on to the next with a strategy in mind. All right. Now, bit number four, the rule book and learning curve. Now, I'm going to leave the rule book to you, Patrick, since you did that and you taught the game. So I'm going to hit the learning curve here. Now, the learning curve was easy once we put our heads together. Once we figured the limit to where you place the V-knots, where it showed up on the cards, we both had that aha moment and it all came clear. Once that happened, it was funny because we both like looked at each other like, that's it. So once we got that down, it was a breeze. Well, I mean, to play it, but the decisions, eh, they're a bit tougher. Yes, indeed. Now, uh, so the rule books on me, as you say, uh, we had the prototype rule book, so it's not definitive, but I thought it was easy to follow. Uh, what's more, I like that it included some flavor surrounding the theme of mining, vine, uh, mining Venus. There's actually a section in the back like, could this ever actually be possible? Uh, another learning curve, uh, I kind of spoiled my thoughts on it with that, with complexity and that it's not that difficult. You're going to know what you're doing by the end of turn three. I'll stand by that one. 
All right, now we go to bit number five, the meat of the game. Now, deciding on whether or not to replace one of your existing cards you have placed in your base. That's the big part for me. You may get a better benefit, but the amount of V-Nights you can place there are greatly reduced. I had that with the uh, water and air section. I could do something great, but I can no longer keep any more than two pieces in there. So I had went from six V-Nots to two V-Nots. So that greatly increases the importance of that decision. And the thing is that this was one of those areas that figure out your upcoming population. So that affected even more things that I had to do with this. No matter what, you will only be getting two new V-Nots each turn. So that was a tough thing to really work on. So you had to math out the problem. I know you like to do that a lot, Patrick. But for me, I always go with what feels interesting. But this time I had to math it out as well. So it was a new way of looking at the game for me. Yeah, there's no way around it with the uh, the incoming V-Nots and having to prep for next turn, not knowing what the events are going to do. There is a, I mean, it's not a math game, but there is a lot of thought that you have to put behind where do I need guys now? So uh, the meat, setting yourself up for various events that can occur, sometimes several in any given round, especially as player count rises, as there are more canisters going into that market row. I think there's something to be said about pushing a ton of your guys into food and the water department so that you have a steady stream of population coming in turn after turn. Uh, and the canister upgrades uh, might be an upgrade to your player board. Sometimes they're just a jolt to your total population, but it gives you a nice decision. And I think there's a lot of meat in picking your canisters. Now on to bit number six, the replayability and variability. Now the variability comes with how you're going to flip out the cards in the market section. I'm not sure of the exact terminology for that there. When those come out, you are going to have variability with that. So that really creates a change. But the replayability is going to be limited, at least for me. I like the concept of the game, but you play it a bunch right away, it loses some of its luster. So it's one of those things where you want to play it, but then set it aside for a little bit and bring it back. And then you'll realize the magic. You don't want to get this thing and just start playing it time after time after time after time. It's like many games that will lose its luster if you do that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think a lot of this depends on your group. Uh, main variables that you're going to see are the goal cards that you can acquire from the uh, from manning the ISS and uh, the drops that you see in the market and therefore the events that they create. Uh, the issue is that a lot of the events are very similar. Uh, usually you're going to be losing a number of V-naughts, occasionally gaining a couple with the main shaker upper being there's a, there's a card or two in there that says no population growth this round. That one was more influential. Um, for those reasons, it is usually going to have a very similar feel from game to game. So I think if you find cons uh, like a comfort and consistency, right, I think that can be a big plus. Uh, but otherwise, you won't have a big shakeup from one game to the next. It, it is going to be playing in the same sandbox every time. All right. Now then to the next bit, the downsides. I always hate this one here because I'm feeling, oh, man, they're going to be mad at us for coming up with a downside. Don't you think? Yeah, it can be a little awkward. I'll give you that one. Now, this may sound petty, but when I saw the video for this game on Facebook, it seemed a little bit different from what I played. Now, granted, I did not click on it and explore more, but it seemed like there were more moving parts almost whenever I glanced at it. But if anything, I got to say that you need to make sure that you explore this and make sure it scratches the itch that you want it to. But at the time, I thought it was like really sliding in different rooms. So 
it was more of my impression of what they were showing as far as the downside goes. Yeah, I'll give you that. Whenever I first saw an ad for it and saw like cards sliding underneath things, I thought this was going to be a, a pinch more robust. I wouldn't call it a downside, but I would say that it was surprisingly simpler than I thought it was going to be. Well, the obvious early play probably every game is to buff your food and water to increase population. And I can't claim to know the game through and through, but I can't imagine a scenario where that isn't always like the best way to open. Uh, aside from that, if you know it's a medium game, uh, maybe even on the lighter side of medium, don't set your expectation that you're playing something super deep uh, because it's not that. Uh, I, I, I agree with you. You know, it looks like it's got some more heft than than what it actually has. Not necessarily a bad thing, though. Was it fun and who's it for? Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> it gave you interesting decisions and not a too complicated set of rules to give you an enjoyable experience. This is a cool way to introduce a game to new players with multiple decisions to make without overwhelming them. It's a nice stepping stone getting into more games, more difficult games, but still gives just enough challenge even to veteran gamers, that you really have to stop and think, what are the best moves for me? And those are some of the best games you can possibly get. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hey, this game was fun for sure. Uh, it's got a definite arc of play in that you want to grow your population, mine minerals, and that's the primary way to score points. But upgrading your station is cool. Uh, and sometimes the events can make for unexpected turns, and I like that. I Honestly, I wish that there was a, a little bit more of that, and I wish that the cards that you were sliding in, the, the, the various canisters that are going to upgrade spaces, I wish that they had just a little more oomph. Some of them are very similar to what you have with like a slight uptick in population with a point on it. Uh, and nothing wrong with that. That's just the way the game goes. You know me. I like seeing things that, you know, I like seeing chaos, right? Now, who's it for? If you're looking for a cool theme, medium strategy game that plays in like an hour, especially if you typically play with three or four, I think you're going to really like Cities of Venus. Well, King, because of poor planning and also because we need a ridiculous transition, we moved the interview room to the other side of the level up compound. So we're going to have to do some sprinting, some running to get over there in time for James. I swear to God. Yeah, buddy. You say sprint one more time. I'm going to kick you in the knees and break your hip. Never again. Whew. Hey, James, how are you? Thanks for waiting. doing well. <laughs> hey, no problem. You guys okay? You need to catch your breath? Or? Yeah. Oh, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Adventures, we have James Wings in studio with us today. James is the designer of Cities of Venus, which we just talked all about. Now we get to find out even more, find out some of the nuts and bolts behind the game. James, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, and you're using code names apparently too, right? So James Wings is actually my, uh, my, my profile name is James Staley is the, uh, is the moniker, uh, my mother graced me with, but, uh, <laughs> most people online will uh, know me as James Wings. So. I have to edit everything now. Did you say Staley? <laughs> Staley, yeah. Do you many, do you know how many times I said wings? That's okay. It's all good. This is unacceptable. Let's oh. dive right into it, guys. Hey, how many times we hear King Scott, huh? Fair enough. That's right. King Scott, for sure. <laughs> guys, let's get right into this. We want to talk a bit about Cities of Venus. First and foremost, James, you obviously have a gaming background. Uh, I understand you even have your own podcast. Tell us a little bit about who you are 
your gaming background, some of your favorites. How'd you get into this hobby? Oh, wow. It's a, uh, you said we have a limited time for that, I guess, right? I yeah. Keep it under like <laughs> five minutes. Elevator pitch me. We'll, we'll, we'll trim her down. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> uh, so I, I've been gaming my entire life and, um, like most people, uh, you know, start off with the monopolies of the world, uh, the risk. Those are the ones that we battled over when I was a kid. Lots and lots of fights with my siblings over those. As I continued on and got into high school, started doing a lot of homebrewing of, you know, games like most people do, right? And, you know, for homebrewing, that could be anything from the classic Monopoly where you put all the money in, in the middle to, you know, we played a game of life and we'd make another trip around the board and now it's the grandkids, things like that. Uh, okay. uh, you know, Risk, we had nukes that we introduced to our Risk board and so forth. And He played Life Legacy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the, the first kind of game that I, I ever created was what I call like an anti-Monopoly. So at the time, I really hated Monopoly, uh, the way trades weren't fair, the game went on forever, everybody wanted to be the car, there'd be fights over who even got the first piece, things like that. So I created this game at the time called Corp War, which was very much like Monopoly going around a board, but everybody got a car. If you ran out of money, you could sell your car and you start walking. So you'd roll one die to go around the board. <laughs> You're trading shares, but everything was equal value and things like that. And that was kind of my first taste of getting into to game design. And then falling in the heels of that, when I kind of got into university, I'm going to date myself a little bit here because this is you know over 25 years ago now. I had created this game that I had at the time been playing a lot of video games like most of us and had some inspiration from a lot of tank battle games I was playing at the time. And what I really liked about the tank battle games at the time was how uh, you'd have to anticipate where the person's going to be. So by the time you get your, your tank moved around, they're already, they've already moved on, right? So there's a lot of mm -hmm. this kind of anticipating and shooting where they're going to be kind of a thing. So I created this game called Tanks for No Thanks and literally created it on a cookie sheet. We played that for probably five years, all through university, like thousands of hours we played this game. I'd bring it home on weekends and play with my little brother, who at the time was like eight years old. And we had a lot of fun with that. And, you know, I got into marketing at the time in school because I thought, hey, I want to I want to learn how to market my game. Right. I think I, you know, I want to get into this industry. But at that time, there's like three companies. And if you wanted to launch a game, you're either pitching right to Mattel <laughs> mm -hmm. or you're going to go work for them. Right. No and when you work starter. Yeah, exactly. So you're going to go work for them, right? And at that time, it was just kind of a, a non-starter. So I ended up in the food industry, shelved everything, put it away, and kind of mothballed it for uh, a couple decades. Yeah, and grow up for a minute. Yeah, exactly. I had to go and put my big boy pants on and uh, go get a real job. So it was about uh, 2016, I would say, that... I'm at my brother's house and uh, we're playing at this time now the hobby games and like most of us, Catan, Ticket to Ride, things like this. It really got us into this new kind of uh, genre with the hobby. You know, he was talking to me about, uh, I think it was some Dino Island game or something like this. And and he's talking about how his brother-in-law had had backed this game and, on Kickstarter. And I, I, knew, I had heard about Kickstarter, but didn't really know a lot about it. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, tell him to bring it over. You know, let's play it. Sounds like fun. And he's like, no, no, no. He he just backed it. He doesn't get it for like like another year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, wait. Come I'm like, in. what? So we're talking about it. And he goes, what about that game you, you, that we used to play when I was a kid? That tanks game. He goes, you should put that on Kickstarter. And now this is like, now I've got a career, right? And I've been doing marketing for a number of years. And, you know, I really wanted to learn about crowdfunding. I wanted to learn about sourcing in China and things like that. These are all things I hadn't really touched on in my business. 
So I said, yeah, let's, let, let's give it a shot. And that was my young brother who was eight years old is now like in his thirties and he's, you know, he's married, he's got a kid and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we started massaging it a bit, didn't do a lot of changes, but made that kind of our first kind of kick at the can with, with Kickstarter. And sure. that was in 2018 that we launched that barely funded, pumped in some of our own cash, pushed it over the line, made a lot of the classic errors that most new Kickstarter people make is, Picking a number just because you think, hey, I could probably do that because some I just saw another campaign that's kind of like my game and they did this, so I should easily be able to get this kind of amount. Mm. Well, and Battletech could raise millions. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Hey, I just saw Doomlings. They just raised a million bucks. Well, I got a card How game while this launch. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, good for those guys. They're doing amazing. But, you know, when I, when I look at that and say there was a lot of learning that kind of came out of that. And for me, we had all these game ideas we had been working on over the years that we hadn't really kind of taken to the next step, but it really got us interested in the hobby, right? It got us excited mm-hmm. to say, okay, this is something that, yeah, we could actually probably do. Massive, massive learning curve. I don't Have you guys launched a Kickstarter campaign before? Like, I know you Heck guys are big no. <laughs> It's a grind, right? It, it, it's excruciating, but um, it's it's exhilarating at the same time. And I kind of equate it to when... You talk to someone that's just it's had a baby, right? And the new mothers are usually like, "Oh my god, I'll never go through that again." Like that was that was hell. But usually after like three or four months, you know, it's like, ah, maybe we could try for another, right? Like you, you, you know, history kind of fades, right? Yeah, yeah. So the pain, the good, exactly. The pain fades with time, and and it becomes addictive. And so we've so we created this company called Tin Robot Games. Tin Robot just kind of tying back into the whole tactile nature of when things were, you know, very hands-on and so forth. We've got nine titles now. So there's two that are coming. This is, uh, we've done uh, this five Kickstarter campaigns. So this is going to be our sixth one coming up with this this new game we're going to talk about. And then we've got another one that's coming straight to retail in, in June called Catnip Auction House, which is a very quick, fun little game where you're all playing cats and you're bidding catnip to get different items and so forth on the board. And that one's kind of a licensing deal we've done with a local designer named uh, Reed Muscola. Very, very talented guy from Paranoia Rising Games. And uh, that's been our uh, kind of our approach. So there's your five-minute pitch. <laughs> that's a mouthful. That's fantastic. Hey, one thing that I, I did well. <laughs> one thing that we didn't get, though, is you have a podcast. You, you uh, I understand I do. you have a podcast yeah. as well. Now, you sent me the link, and I haven't had the chance to listen to it yet. Remind <sighs> me in Adventures of it because you said twice – a week you were doing for a while, once a week now. Yeah. Tell us about the show. Yeah, so this is the Board Game Binge podcast, available anywhere you download your favorite podcast, much like uh, the Level Up here. And uh, we we really focus on doing a 30-minute format. So you're, the, the length of time it takes you to get ready in the morning, or if you're driving to work, you can get through an entire episode. And uh, we've done 225 episodes now, and we Whoa. focus... Oh, yeah, it's been a lot. It's been a grind. But it, we, we focus entirely on people's story. Right. So it's anybody that has anything to do with the board game industry, whether it's designers, publishers, we've had artists on there. Uh, of course, the Jamie Stagmires of the world. We've had, uh, we've had long pack games on a couple of weeks ago, like the CEO of that company. And, but it's, it's not necessarily about the games is more about the story. Like how do they get into the industry? You sure. know, what were their motivations? What led them to there? What did they do in their day job? Cause for most of us, we have day jobs and this is a hobby. Mm-hmm. What are the things that uh, the kind of they pull from their day to day life that they inject into this amazing hobby that we're all part of? Oh, fantastic! I'll have to give it a listen. Well, I hope you do. Well, we're going to have you as guests, uh, hopefully in the very, very near future. <laughs> well, I thank you very much for the invitation, and I look forward to being able to be on your podcast. But 
we had a chance to play your upcoming game here uh, that's going to Kickstarter in, what, five days, I think, from whenever yeah, this goes out. I think when out. this airs, yeah, it'll be five. Yeah, so we got a chance to play Cities of Venus. I'm just wondering, what was the beginning? Like, what was the first little seed that was like, this could work into a game? How did it build out to what it is now? Yeah, no, that's that's an excellent question. Uh, this is probably the game uh, I've been most passionate about out of everything we've ever created. And it really started about three years ago. We were playing, uh, uh, I, I'm going to give a shout out to my brother, Adam. So the young kid that I used to play with now, he's in his 30s. Uh, he's, a, he's a co-designer on this game. So we, you know, tin roll about all the games that we design, we design together. Uh, he's just an amazing, amazing human being. I absolutely love doing game design with him. So I want to give him a shout out to that. So we were playing, I think it was Chai uh, T or one of these games that has kind okay. of the central table where you have the cards, a kind of, uh, you know, central market that you're, you're, mm-hmm, sure. you're, you're, you're buying your, your cards from. I'm a big astronomy nerd. I, I, I absolutely love anything to do with space. I'm sure you guys do because I've listened to some of the, the episodes, you know, Star Trek and Star Wars and things like this. But even as far as Neil deGrasse Tyson, love uh, watching his mm-hmm. content. Absolutely uh, love following SpaceX and the rocket just most recently uh, exploded the other day. You know, I, I love all of that. And I was reading an article and it was it, the article was talking about there's a, a certain number of scientists, uh, you know, here that are saying, why are we going to Mars? Why aren't we going to Venus? And there's this massive article that really broke down the science of why why Venus is a, a much better fit, right? And I'll, I'll do I'll give it to you very very quickly. Uh, number one, same size as Earth, where Mars is about two thirds the size, so you're going to have some issues with bone density loss and so forth, just based on the gravity difference mm-hmm. of going to Mars versus Venus. Venus uh, has the same atmospheric pressure at the habitable uh, area, and we'll talk about where, where that is in a second. <laughs> It has roughly the same temperature that you have here on Earth, so it varies between, I'll put this in Celsius, 0 and 50 degrees Celsius. So because of that, you wouldn't even need a pressurized suit. You would just need something to protect you against acid rain. The only caveat is, is that it is an absolute hellhole on Venus on the surface. And the pressure would, literally anything they've sent there, I think they've only had five pictures from the surface uh, in totality ever taken. Mm-hmm. Now, these were, I believe, uh, Russian um, probes that were sent in, in the 70s. And they just got crushed in the pressure, right? The heat wow. and the pressure absolutely destroyed these within minutes. So you could never live on the surface. But what you could do is about 50 kilometers up, and I think that's like, what, roughly 31 miles, uh, up in the air, that's where it's one atmospheric pressure. It's very Earth-like. You still have a good chunk of a cloud above you that acts as a natural barrier against UV radiation, things right. like that. So it is the most Earth-like place in, in the entire solar system. Uh, and it's even closer, right? So you can send... People there much more frequently than you could even uh, to Mars. So that was the backdrop of that story. And I was telling Adam Mm -hmm. about this. And while we're playing this game, and this happens a lot when we're playing games, is you'll get an an idea for another game. And I looked down and I said, what if, what if we had like a a game, like where you have like a city and you're actually, you're each person's in charge of the city floating in the clouds. And I look at the table, I said, we can have like the canisters come from earth and these are the drops and, you know, we, we using your resources, you kind of bid on it. And right away, of course, we get the piece of paper out. We're just writing like crazy, right? <laughs> and like that night was probably five hours of us just throwing ideas back and forth. And just like wow. a little school kid, just loved it. So much passion. And it just kind of grew out of there. For me, there's two key things that came out very quick. One is we wanted to have that feeling like when we were kids, when you get to build stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So when you're playing Battletech, for instance, I remember the old video games, and you'd actually see... 
if you destroyed another um, you know mech, you can go and you can take the cannons off and you could actually bolt them on your ship. You could see them mm-hmm. plugging into your ship. And we very much wanted that same kind of feeling with these upgrades from Earth that you'd actually plug them into your city, that your board would actually build out much like a, like a space station. And that very tactile feel of kind of sliding these different components into the actual board we thought would be really, really cool. The mm-hmm. second thing was we realized very quickly is the people is going to be the, the commerce, right? So your yeah, currency, that. <laughs> your currency is people, right? It's like, you want to go mine? Oh, you just lost that guy. He ain't coming back, <laughs> right? <laughs> Shields are rosing. Whoops. You just lost a person from that department, right? See, I feel like after the first couple of volunteers, you wouldn't get too many volunteers moving Word forward. Word of mouth would be kind of a detriment, I would think. Yeah, it takes it takes the brave. You have the brave, uh, the brave ones for sure. And and we actually have a follow up that we've already been talking with that comes out of that, so that the people don't actually die. That you know there'll be a there'll be a sequel where we get them back from the surface. But you know, for this in this particular game, yeah, they're gone. And uh, so that was the uh, that was the the currency. And once that finally clicked, everything else kind of started coming into play. And then just. Again, iteration after iteration after iteration. This one was a lot of, uh, you know, typically I'll use Tabletop Simulator, as a lot of designers mm-hmm. do now, especially since COVID. It allows you to iterate very, very quickly. It's very simple to use. But this was still one that we did old school, where we went back to the printer on a piece of paper, boxes mm-hmm. on a paper, getting cards, putting them in sleeves so you have your artwork on both sides so yeah. that can act as your deck and so forth. Because we really need to kind of get that tactile feel of the game because for us it was very important that the game felt like you're you're immersed in in you know in this world sure and and that comes through even in our components and you know i'll let you guys speak to that maybe later as you're doing your review but that was something that was really core for this is we didn't want to have this just be kind of a cheap card game or something like we want this to be super immersive so the gems are acrylic gems mm. you store them in these little thermal form volcanoes that come in the game like all of this comes in in the game uh the people are stored in a little rocket shape uh mm. shaped uh, tray oh, i uh, love the v-knots yeah all oh, the v-knots yeah <laughs> they're double print v-knots both sides right so they've got mm-hmm. their little their little helmets you've got um a neoprene mat that's stitched so yeah, super high like quality that. Rip that idea from Vivid Memories. I don't know if you guys have played Vivid Memories. I have um, not. Oh, yeah. So That's we're where playing. you first saw the stitching, and you were like, this is where it's at. <laughs> yeah. We, we literally were uh, – again, I have a local game night that we do every week, and mm-hmm. uh, I just got this Kickstarter. I think it's Floodgate that did this one. And uh, we pulled out. We are playing it, and, and right away, as soon as I pulled out the mat, I look over at Adam, and we just lock eyes. <laughs> we're like, oh, yeah, this is going in our Gotta game for this. sure. Because they had theirs rolled up and actually fit right in the box. Right, that was what was so cool about. It. I was like, man, a mat that fits in the box. What? It doesn't have to stick off oh, in the yeah. corner collecting dust, right? Like that is. So as soon as these things started coming together, it, it then in rapid fire really started kind of manifesting into what we have today, and we're still iterating in terms of what is going to be coming uh, next, right? Okay. So. In terms of what the the sequel will be, will be more of a, as I said, uh, it actually will be on the surface, and it'll be more of a polyomino game. Med Bay, Med Bay, very important since they aren't dying. Yeah, well, they'll be in, they'll still be in the little pods you find, but that game will be. Um, we're, we're actually going to call it Survivors of Venus. Oh, and the intent is is that you are the miners in your mechs, and you are trying to explore the surface and find parts to, to build a ship oh, wow as well as survivors and based on kind of combination of those things and minerals you're getting along the way kind of like in this game uh you accumulate points 
Everybody gets off the surface, but whoever has the most points, victory points, uh, is basically the captain of that new ship that goes up to the back up to the city. Huh. So we're that's already in development that game, and and then even with this game, we're going to have uh, more card packs that'll be coming probably every six months. We'll we'll launch another card pack so that you can refresh your game and, and get more playability out of it and so forth. Now I've got to ask you with that prototype. Did you make that through Game Crafter? No, we we did have a Game Crafter one that we uh, we made. You can't make like as you know these are quad layer boards, right? So the, yeah. these are, and I think one of your most recent episodes, one of your uh, guests were talking about. I think they were talking about a triple layer board, and they're excited. And yeah, but for four layer boards, it's it's a little bit like I'm not sure if you've played Aquatica. Aquatica, theirs is kind of like a dual layer. The cars mm-hmm. can slide in, and but this takes it like. Two more layers even above that because it, you know, the top layer acts as a tray and so forth. We did use Game Crafter for our first iteration of gems, our -hmm. first iteration of cards, and then everything else we kind of had to just mock up locally. But what, what you guys got to play was actually from the factory. So that was a factory prototype. You know, with this one, I'll give them a shout out. Sky Game, uh, they've been great, great partners to work with. In terms of factories, they're kind of a dream factory to work with because they are willing to do low quantities. So, you know, when I say to them, hey, I need 100 copies, you know, most factories hang up the phone, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. they're like, okay, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to be cheap. Call us when you need 900 more. Yeah, <laughs> it's not going to be cheap, uh, but but we can do it. And and they fully understand that these 100 copies, when we actually come back with 1,000, 1,500, 2,000, however many we end up making, that will probably be different art files than even they have now. So it's not like we're going to be able to reuse these art files. The mm-hmm. only thing we'll be able to reuse is the molds that we had to buy. Mm-hmm. For those trays, right? So right. the volcanoes, which look, I think they look cool. I love oh, them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the rocket tray, again, was something I wanted rocket to have in this game. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So these are things that we actually had to purchase the mold. So those molds we will use in the final copy, but everything else will be uh, will be, will be be rebuilt. There's some tweaks I want to make to that board. I think we can make it even flatter. Those ones, I think they're Russian, so the paper wasn't even fully dry before they glued them. So there's a little bit of warping in there. So we, I just want it to be perfect, right? So mm-hmm. oh, every game that we've launched at this point, we've had no quality issues with, and we've got a very good track record. So we want to stick with that, especially on this one. So we got a chance to play the prototype of that, and yeah. it was great. I mean, the board and everything, sliding the cards, the V-knots, the volcanoes, the rocket, everything was really awesome. But what can people expect whenever they see the Kickstarter page come up? What can they expect to be able to back for this game? Uh, is it just going to be a base game? Is it going to be add-ons? The floor is yours. Let us know what they can expect with the Kickstarter. Yeah, for for this Kickstarter, we really wanted to make it very streamlined. So oh, good. This particular one will only be available on Kickstarter. So, I mean, I'll say that out of the gate. If you buy this game on Kickstarter, it is not going to be purchased on retail. So we are not offering it to retailers. We're not offering it to distributors. We're not offering it to consolidators. You might be able to buy a copy of us at a future trade show. If you if you see sure, us in a sure. booth, you can come to us and maybe interact with us. Probably at a higher price than you'll get it through Kickstarter, to be quite candid. Mm-hmm. So because of that, we wanted to make sure that we were offering the highest possible value that we could. Sure. You know, it's kind of like the holy crap package, right? So there's <laughs> very simple two layers, right? So okay. the layer number one is a two to four player game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to come with pretty much everything that you'll see in most of the videos that are on our page. Right. Uh, in there, you're going to see the stitch neoprene mat, which looks absolutely gorgeous. And the the cards, are, there's tons of cards that come with the different phases mm-hmm. that you're going to pass through as uh, as you have these different levels of drops coming through the clouds. Um, there's a certain number of event cards you're going to have. You're going to have a certain number of innovation cards. 
everybody's going to get four dice mech minis. We call them these little mining mechs. So the dice actually fit in the back of these these mechs. And then also one of the little V-knots fits in it as well. <laughs> Originally, we created this uh, via a little side note. We created these because we found that when people were mining, often they'd lose track. Did I, did I burn a person or not to, mm, for the yeah, right to yeah, mine? Yeah, yeah. And many times the scores are within like a point, right? You know, person, you know, the top two players can sometimes end, yeah, 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 within yeah. one or two points. So that, I mean, that could be a big difference. So we had these this idea of okay, we need some way to kind of track that, so other people can kind of watch. And we came up with this idea of okay, you take your person, you put it in the mech, that allows you to pull the, the dice out, you roll it, that gives you your minerals, you put it back, and that person goes into the resource tree, it's gone, and everybody can see right. that you've done that, and you're doing that all together. So. Originally, it was going to be an add-on, but it was so cool, and we had such great feedback from people that. And you guys don't even have a copy of these, but no, we don't have them. Yeah, we're putting. Uh, I'll make sure I you got away with copies. so many cheats. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to fix that. I'm going to get you some minis, so your copy at least has some minis uh, <laughs> if you guys play again. But everybody's game comes with uh, with the mech minis. Everybody's game is going to come with uh, three of those volcanoes uh, trays to hold mm-hmm. the minerals. Tons of acrylic gems are going to come with, uh, and we've got the three different colors of these acrylic gems. Everybody gets, again, that rocket tray that, that holds the meeples. The box is going to be inside printed. It's going to have spot UV on the cover. It's going to be pretty. Yeah, we're doing basically, we've we've pulled all stops. And typically what you'll see in a lot of Kickstarter pages is some things that people are intending on doing anyways. Mm-hmm. They'll set them as stretch goals, right? They'll, they'll peel them out and then right. they'll kind of give them back to you. And we really didn't really want to play any games in this case. We want to say, here, here's what you get. We're giving you the, the best we can possibly get. You're either in or you're not. And, and that's fine if it's not for you, but we don't mm-hmm. want you to come in and then realize later, well, there's more stuff we're actually going to give you. We do have some announcements. There are going to be some things that we're going to mention during the campaign that are going to be some surprises, mm-hmm. but they're nothing that's on the game itself. The game itself, as you see it on this page, is, is you're going to get the maximum possible game we can give you. The second pledge level is going to be a six-player version. So okay. with the six-player version, it's going to be a slightly deeper box. So I uh-huh. want everything to still fit, fit in that box. You're not having to kind of pull out two boxes when you're playing. Sure. So yeah. It'll be one box. Everything will be in there. Mm-hmm. But it'll be six of everything. So you're going to have six quad-layer player boards. You're going to have uh, six of the mini international innovation station boards, six uh, mechs, six of those volcano trays. You're going to have two of the rocket trays to hold your meeples. So you're just going to have a lot more stuff. And then even the cards, I believe it's 48 more cards that are added to the six-player version as well. So you have to compensate for all the additional drops and whatnot. Additional drops, but we want to have something that was a little bit different, right? Because you're going to be paying more for the six-player version. So mm-hmm. everything that comes in terms of additional cards are going to be unique. Okay. So those cards will not be in the four-player. You can only get those cards if you get the six-player version. So there's going to be unique innovations. There's going to be unique events. And of course, there'll be unique uh, drop cards that are not available in the drops you're getting with the four-player. So that's kind of the the two levels that we're going to do. And, and that's it. No stretch goals. We're not going to play the games with, oh, you know, hey, if we hit this level, we hit that level. Guys, we are giving you everything that we can possibly give you right out of the gate. The one add-on that we're going to have is we have this first player mini, which is the arm from the station that's holding the canister, that grabs the canister. Oh, we yeah. have that as, yeah, as a mini. And that's the first <laughs> player marker to go on the board. It looks super cool, and you can add all, that on is if you want it. I think a lot of people are probably going to want it. That's a definite upgrade over the banana. Yeah. Oh, if you- God. Oh, yes. We had first-player banana. We, we we were making do with what we had. <laughs> <laughs> or a piece of pocket lint, whatever you can pull out of your pocket, right? <laughs> so that's the uh, that'll be the first-player market, but that will be – if you back us on the first day, we're going to give that to you for free. 
Oh, cool. Yeah. So we've been announcing to get in on it early. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is one thing we found in a lot of our campaigns that sometimes people will kind of him and haw and they'll come in later. What they don't realize, and I would say this advice to anybody, if you intend on backing a campaign, just back it. Because what you may not realize is that the algorithms are really driven by those first two day pledges. Right. And the searchability and kick tracks tracking and every, even, uh, you know, games we love, these designations for kicks are all these things are driven by the algorithms. And if you know you're going to back the game, the best thing you can do for that person is just give them a day one back. Yeah. If you want to change your mind, you can always cancel your pledge. You can always retract it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It doesn't hit your card until the the last uh, day. I'm going to wait and see. Exactly. Yeah, so you know that would be my advice to anybody on any Kickstarter campaign they do. But that's that's one way we help make that kind of day one sticky or get people that are, you know, maybe sitting on the fence or saying, "Oh, maybe I'll back later when I get around to it." Well, it just gives them a little nudge. So, well, you can back, to, you know, help us out. Sure, back yeah, yeah. You scratch our back, we'll scratch yours. I can hear the <laughs> excitement in your voice. I can't oh, wait I to it. see this thing launch and go live. And I'm I'm excited for you. Getting into oh, it. Oh, very much so. We're going to let you have the floor and tell a little bit more about where we can learn more about Tin Robot, the podcast, etc. But first, <laughs> you know what's coming. I love it. So Adventures James has spoiled it for himself. He knows what's coming. But we've got a, a good list of questions. Scott, you got the stopwatch? <clears throat> all right. Anxiety is killing me. All right. We're all set to go. Okay, James, I'm going to ask you eight questions. I want the first thing that comes to mind. And Scott, we really don't have a criteria for whether how someone levels up doing this, do we? No, 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 no. Hey, hey, hey just have fun. You say when? Three, two, go. <laughs> What's your favorite board game? I'm going to say Rolling Heights right now. What is the very best breakfast cereal? Um, shredded wheat. No, it's Reese's Peanut Butter Puffs. How many board games do you own? Uh, it's got to be close to 120. The best band of all time is? Uh, Matchbox 20. Can you name the three major sports teams in Pittsburgh? God, no. <laughs> where are you from? Canada. That's not one of the questions. I got to know. Where are you from? <laughs> I'm just north of Toronto in Canada. Okay, we'll give him a few seconds back on the clock. If I tap a mountain to lightning bolt your grizzly bear, what game am I playing? If I'm watching a movie in which the main characters Lloyd Christmas and Harry Dunn travel to Aspen to return a briefcase, what movie am I watching? That'd be Dumb and Dumber. Can you name the Ninja Turtles? (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, Michelangelo, Donatello, um, Raphael, and... He leads. Oh, God. The blue one. Lost it. Time. Oh, so so close. Oh, can you can you name one of the three major sports? I can Toronto Blue Jays, Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm not from up there, but I I can name the Toronto teams. You got to know a Pittsburgh team. Uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. There you go. Okay, they're all right. You're one down. Notoriously worst team in baseball, the Pittsburgh. Oh, oh man! You're hitting the Canuck with. I'm going to hit you with some Canadiana. I was going to say we, we, we've got to we've got to leave him be because if we're going to be on your show, uh, oh, I'm going to. Oh, don't be, worry, it's coming. Yeah, we want retribution to be rough. I'm going to I'm going to binge you up on the binge, Scott. I think he deserves a level up on this one. Oh, well, uh, most definitely. I mean, oh, you guys are kind. The level he had in just having a good time with us, definitely, you got to level up. 
Did you say shredded mini wheats for the cereal? Yeah. That is a top tier. If we had to break cereals into tiers, yeah. the top tier is Reese's Peanut Butter Puffs, Shredded Mini Wheats. The, the Shredded Mini Wheats are delicious. Um, yeah. What's the other one? Count Chocula. Old school Count Chocula. Fruit mm. Loops is good too. Yeah. Fruit Loops is a go-to. And and Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Here's why I like uh, the uh, the Mini Wheats because you, you can just eat them straight. The yes. Mm. No milk. Yeah. Still do it with a spoon. Like a <laughs> Just shove your hand in that box. No one's looking. It's all good. All right, James, let the adventures know. Where can we learn more about Tin Robot Games, about your show? And obviously, we've got the Kickstarter for Cities of Venus. But if we wanted to find out a little bit more behind the scenes, where do we go? Yeah, absolutely. Go to citiesofvenus.com. That's citiesofvenus.com. You can go to tinrobotgames.com if you want to learn anything about our company. That'll also give you a link to Cities of Venus and every game that we produce. And if you're interested in the podcast, check us out anywhere you download your favorite podcast. Just look for Board Game Binge. Well, James, thank you so very much for your time here. Uh, we loved having a chance to catch up with you, you hear all about the stuff and uh look forward to hopefully meeting you at a con i don't know are you going to be at origins at all or absolutely yeah we're going to origins um yeah so we'll be walking the floor for most of the show and then on the friday you can find us in the bridge distribution uh booth uh we'll actually be showcasing cities of venus there as well post campaign but if people want to check it out they can come say hi Here we are at the end of the episode. No King Scott, back to just Patrick Adventures. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 93, this special side quest episode. If you haven't yet, get on back to episode 92. We actually talk about Clask, a tabletop dexterity game. We talk video game adaptations. We have our top five because we had 10 reviews done. As you know, we like to do our top five after we have 10 down. And stick around for next week. We're going to be talking Marvel Age of Heroes. Really looking forward to that one. Adventures, thank you. Till next week. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.